Caroline, uh, thank you for joining me here today. It's always uh, great to see you and uh, always a pleasure to uh, especially have you as a guest on the show. There's so many people that know a lot about you and now they get to hear a bit more about the story of Caroline. So I'm actually going to start with, tell us a bit about yourself, uh, the, who Caroline Kotsi is. Well, thank you so much, Gary. I'm really delighted to be here. I was looking forward to this time uh, together. So a bit of background, I'm going to try to give you the Reader's Digest version, not to make it too long, and then, you know, get into a conversation together, I think will be far more uh, interesting. But for a bit of background, so I was born in Beirut. I grew up in the Lebanese Civil War. Um, the war lasted 15 years uh, between ages of 7 and 22. So these are very, very formative years. I think these, you know, some often people will ask me, you know, how do you achieve all that you've achieved and how do you overcome all your fears and come out of your comfort zone and how did you dare do this this that you know without getting into all the achievements I don't have a recipe that I can share but what I can say is that definitely through these years of, of war I had no other choice than to overcome my fears and come out of my comfort zone and I think the level of resilience that I got to develop through these years have really shaped the, 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 the leader that I've become and, um, <coughs> excuse me, have really made, um, I guess it's maybe part of my secret recipe in some way. Um, I've also, at a very young age, at age 17, I also moved on my own, no parents, no money, to Paris. Uh, my parents stayed in Lebanon, always close to me and close to my heart and but still, it was a very difficult time because there was this distance and we couldn't, it's not like today, we didn't have cell phones, we couldn't just pick up the phone and call even from a landline because of the war in Lebanon, the, land, the, 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 the phones were often disconnected, impossible to reach anyone. So that also at age 17, having to put myself through two jobs to be able to go to university, school, university, graduate, etc. I think that pretty much sums up the the... the the obstacles, the difficulties that I've uh, I've uh, had to overcome, but quite frankly, Gary, I don't think I'd do it any differently. Uh, when I look at it, you know, in hindsight, I think to myself, this has really allowed me to become so much stronger than I could have ever, because really, you don't know how strong you are until you have no other choice. And uh, although I don't wish that upon anybody to have to go through what I went through, I, I, I don't detest the life that I had. I actually think that uh, I've learned so much. And, you know, the Lebanese people are such a positive and optimistic people that um, never, ever did I pity myself or did I worry about the future. Um, I just you know, swim or sink situation. I think I, you know, won that race. And uh, what a race it's been, Caroline. And I must say, certainly resilience is built by going through difficulties. And it's sometimes one of the challenges we have to think about as parents saying, how do we make sure our kids share that, right? Without, you don't want them going through any experience of that nature. Uh, God forbid wars are, are horrible to go through, but how do you actually get instill some some of this in them? And it's one of the hardest things is learning how to do that without putting them through more hardship than necessary. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Gary. And I think this is important because, you know, what are we here for, right? Apart from being, you know, having a legacy and our children are the very first legacy that we want to leave behind, right? And so there is that danger of wanting to maybe be overly protective because we've gone through hardship. I've chosen to kind of do it differently because um, I was just so busy with work and I was a single mom from the you know young teenage years of my children. And I had two choices and that was either give up everything and focus on my children and, and my career, but none of the other you know extracurricular activities that actually will propel your career. Or decide that I was going to explain to my kids, you know, what real life outside of this, you know, cozy home was and make sure that they become very 
strong and and strong contributors as as citizens themselves. And I chose the latter. I uh, got them to get involved as volunteers in the many charitable organizations that I was a part of. They got to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. They got to meet the people that we were helping through charitable organizations. They got to feel uh, indispensable. They got to contribute as, as you know, little volunteers. From age 11, uh, they started volunteering. So today... I can safely say that my kids, you know, sitting on boards and, and, and they, they both have a very, uh, you know, uh, successful careers and very successful family lives, private lives. I should say private lives. So they're not parents yet. So, um, but, you know, family life. And, and to me, that's, that's extreme. That, that's always been very important because I, I, I could have made sure that they had everything in terms of material needs. And I did, I made sure they had everything, but I could have just let them do what they wanted to do, you know, go to school, do their sports and stop there. But I really decided to push them. And um, they know my story, obviously, very intimately. And um, it has served its purpose in my kids' lives as well. And it it is a much longer story that for our Encore podcast, we'll dive into it a bit more because, you know, a lot of parents go through this. And Caroline, I know you've even written and been interviewed about the imposter syndrome where you're trying to balance everything in life. You have family obligations, especially with some of the work you do with with, uh, women in governance. Uh, It's especially harder on women. But the professional life with balancing with career aspirations, and finding that balance is is hard, but it often means that you are with the right explanation around the, the children. It can be really the, the path to get there. Yeah, and, so- and this is key. And I'm realizing that I didn't, as I was introducing myself, I'm realizing I didn't take the time to, you know, I talked about my background and 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 all uh, that has to do with the, with, with the war and my level of resilience. I also did a TEDx on resilience. It's in French, though. But it has, I think, 140,000 views, something like that. So um, I think it's a very important topic because I always say, you know, being a leader, if you're not a resilient leader, you're not going to last because there will always, always be um, issues. There will always be obstacles. And if you collapse every time and you can't get up really quickly, and if you can't get up even stronger than before you fell down, you're not going to go very far. So that's that's extremely key. And to me, careers has always been uh, instrumental. I worked in the career management space for a decade. And then I focused more on women's careers, although, you know, there was a time where it was executive careers. So men, women who were at the executive level. Um, I was a vice president of one of the largest career management firms at the time. But then focusing in more on women's careers, uh, this is when I decided to uh, build Women in Governance to give the women all the tools that they need to go through the glass ceiling, but also give all companies the, uh, the means to close the gender gap in the workplace in a very concrete fashion through our parity certification. But that's, that's a whole, you know, uh, you let me know how much of what you want to talk about, because that could be a whole different podcast. <laughs> well, and, and I will get a bit more to career advice in general um, shortly, but I will focus a bit more on you uh, one more time. Uh, who are some of the most influential people in your life? And I was going to say pick one, but I know that sometimes that's hard to, to force you to pick one. So you, you can have more than one if needed, Caroline. Oh, this is such a difficult question to answer. And by experience, I know this is when you go, oh, damn, did I forget this or that person? Oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. So let me put it this way. Um, To me, the environment in which you grow and develop, your network, the people that you trust make a world of a difference in what you can actually achieve. So although at Women in Governance, we have two mentoring programs, one for executive women and one for professional women, I personally had more of a advisory board of mentors, if you will, women and men who would help me in the different facets of my career, of my work-life balance or life-work balance, as they like to call it now. And that to me has definitely been key 
to being able to achieve what I've achieved. When you think of someone who comes into Canada as an immigrant, as a war child, as someone who doesn't have a big network, and, you know, fast forward 30 years later, definitely, I think, um, you know, when you're talking about networking and talking about um, the um, the people that are around me, um, I think I've learned how to surround myself by the right people. And that, whether you're an immigrant, whether you were born and raised in Canada, it is the same struggle. You need to be with the right people. And I shouldn't say struggle because to me, it is actually the most fun part of it all. It's all about networking. It's all about being very um, present for others before you ask others to help you. And I think that through all my implications in charitable organizations, I think that has made a big difference. Sometimes people will say, oh, but I don't have time to, to volunteer on a board or I don't have time to... I don't know, go network, go uh, to a chamber of commerce event, et cetera. I say it's the reverse. You should, you should look at it as a way that will actually make it so much easier to achieve any target that you're trying to achieve, to get anything that you need from the community because people know that you're someone who's there for others and they will be there for you. So that, Gary, for me, um, it's interesting because when I started networking and, and doing all these things and going into these events and, and, and volunteering on boards, etc., I realized, my God, how people are kind and how they're, you know, they're helping out. And I never did it for that. Never, ever. I just did it because I thought I am privileged. Despite what I've been through, I am privileged. How can I help? And um, it's, it's the most beautiful gift your time, and that's nothing compared to the gift that you get in return of feeling good about yourself for doing it, of learning something new because, you know, we go to university, we, we work, we, we, you know, we do something that is very focused, and then you do something very different for a charitable organization. You learn new things, you meet new people, and let me tell you something, Gary, these people that you meet are the people that you want to be around because they're like-minded, they're generous, they're authentic. And, and that's, that's really important that these people do it for the right reason. If anybody does it just to put that on their CV or to tick a box, stay home because it will actually negatively impact your branding because it comes out right away. We always know who is clearly you know ready for the meeting who's clearly ready to contribute who's you know who's there who shows up and those who are just putting their name on on you know on a list and uh, caroline the, the importance of the ecosystem is so important so i can really appreciate what you're saying around picking the right people around you and uh, i'm a big fan of, of uh, volunteering and, and frankly i met you through through an event and that's how all these things come about uh, and and i couldn't agree more with it if we think about the longest study ever done on happiness the biggest contributing factor to happiness was the quality of the relationships right and those relationships are developed when you're surrounded by positive people like-minded uh, and i don't mean like-minded strictly in group think sense but rather that where you're sharing things that you really enjoy and an experience you really enjoy. So uh, if I were to distill the, the takeaways, I'm going to say, Kaolin said, focus on your ecosystem because it makes a huge difference around you and volunteer. It does. And, <laughs> and volunteer, then, exactly. And get your kids to volunteer. That too, exactly. They'll, 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 yeah, they'll be... They'll be um, also learning a lot, meeting a lot of people, and uh, it'll help them in their career. You don't realize it when they're still young or, you know, teenagers, but even on a CV for, you know, for a youngster who's looking for a job and what have you done? Well, you know, I've done these things and that matters. It really does. A lot of headhunters, by the way, will look at your CV quickly and then they'll go to the bottom where you'll put your volunteer, you know, does that person go above and beyond the call of duty. That's what we need, right? That's what we want. Uh, Caroline, I know you do a lot of speaking engagements, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's uh, TED Talks, whether it is with 
on a radio show that I believe is is with a certain level of frequency, maybe weekly. Um, weekly. Would you say it's it's a, a natural skill, or did you have to work on it? I well, I, th I do think it's a natural skill, but I also worked on it because you know there's you spoke about the imposter syndrome earlier we all have that imposter syndrome in us right you get asked to you know speak at a big conference you get asked on national television you get asked for for you know a podcast no matter what it is you always wonder especially when you begin right you always wonder am i worthy of this why me am i going to be okay Uh, once you do it, you only see the flaws. You wonder, you know, uh, if um, what the other person or the people in the room, et cetera, really thought of it. Uh, so it's it's not easy um, to completely, you know, be at ease at the beginning, uh, especially when you're someone who's got, you know, this Madame Parfait. You want to be perfect. You want to come across as in control, you don't want to make mistakes, you don't want to stutter, you don't want to forget the important points, etc. But practice makes perfect, there is absolutely no doubt. Uh, I've seen people who, you know, would go on stage and their voice would shake, it almost makes everybody in the room uneasy because you feel for that person, you feel for what they're, 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 they're experiencing, you know that they're not comfortable, they're not happy, but they're doing it. And then when you see them again doing it, you think, wow, well, good for you for not giving up the first time. And then they absolutely get better with it. They absolutely do. And so you can, there's many things that, that you can do to perfect your, your level of comfort. But the number one thing is repeat, do it and do it and do it. And don't waste an opportunity if you're ever invited to, to give a talk, to, to speak, to, to be on a panel. This is definitely definitely the best way to up your profile. And at the end of the day, why do we want people to be more visible, to have a stronger branding and reputation? It's all about being seen as a rainmaker, being seen as the person that we're going to call for something important, being the person that we're going to call for an important mandate, for a new job, for a promotion. That also means that if you're comparing two people who have the same academic background and the same professional background, but one is better known, has a stronger branding and a really good reputation. And the other one is someone you've just met. Well, the person that you're going to want to be ready to pay more is the person that you know is going to be a rainmaker, is going to be make a difference, etc. So it really does equate to more money, bigger titles, more power for those who are interested in, in, in more power. So there's, you know, and then and, and that is something that um, women are not always as good as men doing, you know, self-promotion, talking about their achievements, sharing their, uh, you know, their big wins. Women tend to think that if you work really hard, someone's going to notice. Well, life is not as simplistic, unfortunately. And I've mentored a young woman who was in a very, very big company. And once we were having lunch and she came really for the, to, to the lunch, really, you could tell she was not happy. She was disappointed about something. And I said, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, there's this guy that I, you know, doesn't work half as hard as I do, who just got promoted to this new job. I'm shocked. And I said, okay, well, were you vocal about the fact that you were interested in this promotion? When, when you heard the job was open, did you go see the person who was doing the recruiting? Did you tell them to keep you in mind? Did you send an email with all the details of why you would be the perfect candidate to fill this? She said, no, but I work hard and I expected them to notice and to reward me. It's not like that. The other individual who got the job probably did all those things that I just described. So, you know, there's proximity bias. There's a, there's a ton of reasons why, you know, the person who's doing the recruiting will go with maybe the more pushy person who seems very, very self-confident and wants the job than the woman who's saying nothing but working so hard in her office and not doing all the networking in the corridors and, and, and not, not networking with the right people. So it's equally important. Do a good 
job, be thorough, be, be, be excellent at, at everything you do, but you can reduce the level of, of, of you know, um, details that you get into and increase the time that you spend speaking to the right people and about, you know, about yourself. And it's not natural and it's not easy for people to speak about themselves, but it's essential. And I think being present, Caroline, consistently is, is important. So being out there, being present, uh, really, uh, I, I sometimes, because people sometimes joke around and say, oh, you, you know, you're still out there about out and about despite how big your sales team gets. And I say, you know, I want people to have that connection with me that they can call me and have the comfort that they're always, they'll always be taken care of. And I will always uh, be there for people because that's, that really gives anyone you're working with a sense of warmth and uh, frankly, top of mindedness that you could have the best product in the world. You could be the best person in the world. Sometimes if you don't, if you're not top of mind, uh, it can be a deterrent. And that is so true because, you know, people will always remember the last conversation they had. So, or the last tweet that they saw or, you know, and it's funny because I was speaking this morning with a gentleman who was looking for a speaker and said, uh, well, it's, it's sort of a, um, what do you call it? Like a speaker's bureau. And he said to me, you know, this client contacted me as they're looking for, for someone to speak at, uh, anyway, I'm not going to give the details because obviously it's, it's a private company. I'm not going to get into all these details, but he said, and you had just popped up in my newsfeed and I thought, oh, she would be perfect for that. So I, I personally post daily on social media. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say, oh, this is too much. Just do it weekly and it's enough. Sure, you're not going to just post to post. You're going to have some content that will, you know, be food for thought, that will uh, um, will have an impact, that you've got your own theme. You know, I obviously speak about women, women in leadership, uh, corporate Canada that's closing the gender gap. These are, the, you know, sort of my topics, but sometimes I'll obviously speak about whatever is going on, you know, in, in the news or, uh, you know, if it's uh, Black History Month or if it's uh, um, LGBTQ plus uh, uh, um, the, the gay pride. So I'll, I'll, I'll always be commenting and I love to start a conversation and then have people comment and I take the time to answer people personally. I do. And that's also, you know, when you say no matter how big your BD team gets, you still want to show up. Well, that I think sets you apart, Gary, and that makes a huge difference because people deal with people. And at the end of the day, you can say, you know, it's women in governance and it's the organization and there's, you know, 16 people working there and they're all great. Yeah, but people need a face. They need someone that they can relate to. They need someone that they can, you know, interact with and, um, you know, might as well be you because otherwise it might end up being another organization that will um take that space and it is it is really competitive in the marketplace there's organizations that do a variety of different things uh, not-for-profits that do a very different scope of work but everyone has sort of a certain attention span right and you're always competing for that space and you need to find the ways to stay top of mind this is despite whether you're a not-for-profit whether you're for-profit that's always i mean oh, there's the yeah. reason why big organizations have this market presence everywhere is that they have to stay relevant and they have to stay top of mind but yeah, I, absolutely I, I was enjoying so much where we were going that I completely lost train of <laughs> focusing on you at a personal level. And I have two more questions on that front, and then I'll go to some of the business advice. What is one childhood memory that you really cherish, that you really remember? Childhood memory that I cherish. Or that um, you remember, you know, that you enjoy. Yeah, there's a lot of childhood memories that stay with me that I wish I could lose. Um, but I think overall, the most beautiful thing, in, and it's, it's funny because it's linked to, to a song, uh, but it's, it's when my parents would put music and we, I'd always, I always danced. I was a ballerina from a very young age. Um, and I, I used to dance on the balcony in Beirut. And um, every time I hear you, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the name of the singer. It's my, my dad's favorite singer, Julio Iglesias. And uh, every time I hear Julio Iglesias, I think of, of, of my dad and, and my mom. And, and that is from 
you know, and I get emotional just telling you the story um, because that was before the, the war. So I must have been six years old. I started ballet at five or four and a half, five years old. And so I used to dance all the time. My father would put music and oof. Anyway, let's change topics <laughs> because <laughs> well, we need thought. For all the young listeners out there, Julio is Enrique Iglesias' father. Uh, and uh, oh, yeah. the, that is one case where the genetics did play out well uh, in terms of talent. Uh, and Absolutely. So this, this is, for me, the, um, this is um, joy to its fullest. And part of the reason why I ask these questions as well is often when we meet each other in the business world, there's a bit of a facade. And I don't mean that in the negative sense, but you sort of only see one side of us and, and we're multifaceted. And, and I try to break through in, in some of this podcast, like getting to know the person in the, in the ultimate sense and childhood mm -hmm. uh, one of those. Um, yeah, and I think it's so important because Gary, you know, for years, years, I did not speak about my origins and not that I was ashamed, but I didn't want to stand out. So it's very different from today where I actually, you know, claim my heritage and, and speak about it widely, but it's easy when you made it to top hundred most powerful women in Canada, top 20 diversity figures in Quebec, top hundred entrepreneurs changing the world. And the list goes on. And I'm saying this very humbly, but I mean, when you reach a level where you're getting recognition from the United Nations, the award that I received that you get to a point where you think to yourself, listen, it's, it's, I can show up as who I really am. And, um, there was a time where I was just so relieved that my name doesn't sound Arabic, although Qatsi is, you know, anybody who's of Arabic heritage will know because it means from Jerusalem in, in Arabic. So it's, 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 you know, there's a lot of Qatsis in, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Egypt. So they would know. But otherwise, also with a first name like Caroline or Caroline, uh, but my brother's name is Nabil. He will get uh, labeled much easier than me. And honestly, I think that also contributed to my career growth, the fact that there was a time where diversity, equity, and inclusion was not as big as today. And they preferred someone who's gonna look like them, uh, sound like them, study this, you know. So at the time I would say nothing and I was just so scared that people would, because they, they used to do that when I was younger. And I'd say, you know, I, I come from Lebanon, I grew up in Lebanese world, civil war people would go oh poor you it must be so hard and that does not help resilience when people start pitying you they put you in a victim role and there's that's the contrary of overcoming whatever um issue you faced uh how can you feel strong and and able to bounce back if everyone is around you saying oh poor you it's a horrible feeling and once my career really, you know, skyrocketed and I started getting awards and attention, I started being a lot more vocal about my past. And then it was a very, very different story. Nobody would say, oh, poor you. They, they you know, they, they'd recognize the added difficulty that, that I've been through, but they would also recognize the fact that it served me well in the end. And, and that's what we're focusing on. So to me, knowing people and their backgrounds, their life story, it, it, I think that's essential because you cannot fully trust someone that you don't really know. And so that's, that's the basic of the, the pyramid of relationships is, is trust. And to trust, you have to know. And Caroline, I think that's why the push in the business community right now to embrace diversity is so important because it makes people far more comfortable to really tell the story about who they are without that worry about is there any prejudgment that is coming with it. And uh, we're both okay. in businesses that, that we've been fortunate enough to deal with a fair amount of diversity and it's been a true strength to our respective organizations. And I can't, uh, I can't emphasize enough why that matters so much, because you get this variety of thinking, you get people that because of the circumstances they grew up in or experiences in life, they bring a sort of a point of view that you wouldn't otherwise have. And it's just so important. Well, exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you only want people who think like you look like you, I mean, look at yourself in a mirror and, and, and you'll get your answers to everything. But when you've got people around the table who challenge you because they think differently and they're actually bringing a different perspective 
And this is how you are going to come up with the most innovation. This is how you're going to be uh, making the most robust decisions. This is how you're going to penetrate new markets and, and create new products or services. It's with these different people around, around the table. And so women, men, minorities, people who've lived uh, different things. And, you know, we don't do it just because it's the right thing to do, just because, you know, out of fairness for women or for minor, uh, visible minorities, it's not that. It's actually reaping the benefits from diversity and being able to um, manage your business in a way that actually really um, is a parallel to our society. So whatever you're doing, you're not in silo. You're working, you're selling your services, you're selling your products, you've got buyers, you want your team to mirror your your clients. And uh, it's going to have a very, very positive impact on financial performance. And we're not just saying this from the DEI lens, we're saying this from all research that demonstrates the positive impact on financial performance. So we're not at the stage of why do we need to do this? We're at the stage of how do we do this well? And this is where women in governance has a, has a role to play. And Caroline, I could talk about this forever because it's a topic I'm very passionate about. But I mean, as Canadian, it's really coming upon us to really embrace this. Because if you think about the history of our country, right, like people left because of political persecution, people that looked for the entrepreneurial edge, leaving their respective countries to try to do something different. And it's been the diversity of our, our origins that's actually made us extremely successful in a national and an international scale, whether it's Canada, US, I think us relatively new countries in the, in the yes. sense that we are today, it's, it's largely driven by that diversity. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So and the last question uh, about you uh, personally, and then I'm switching gears. So in growing up, you would have thought, I want to be, uh, I want to have this job when I grow up. I want to be this. And often it's very different than what we end up doing. So what was it growing up that you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, it wasn't clear from my childhood years exactly what I wanted to do. The only thing that was clear is I had a very, very strong leadership, uh, very developed leadership uh, fibers. And that's from, you know, from daycare uh, days. And um, I always wanted to do something that was going to be, um, have a positive impact on society. So when I came here to Canada, my career actually progressed very quickly. And I think in part because I didn't have the, um, I, I wasn't burdened by some stereotypes. Uh, and I, I know it can si sound contradictory because you might think, well, you're coming from Lebanon. So how did you think that you would, and I lived in France for a number of years, and it's quite a macho country as well. Uh, how did you think you were going to be able to progress and, 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 and you know, grimper les échelons, as they say in France, uh, in French, uh, you know, grow your career so, so rapidly. And I think that in Canada, a lot of women from the, from a very young age, from, you know, since they're young little children at daycare, at primary school, etc., cetera, are, um, the, the, the information that they get is that they can do anything that they want but they're different from boys. And so these are the disciplines that are recommended. This is where they would thrive. And it's completely wrong because uh, even whether it's parents, whether it's teachers, they would direct little girls towards, you know, human sciences, uh, soft skills, and move them away from STEM disciplines when, when the reality is there was a time where women were highly dominating the IT industry. Um, think of the 50s, the 60s. Um, it is thanks to women that we, we, we did space exploration. I mean, the NASA uh, mathematicians uh, were doing all the calculations. And not only were they women, they were black women. And it's when the men came into the, um, 
the IT field that women started leaving it because there was sexism, misogyny, there were, you know, a number of issues that made it less safe for women to be in that industry. It is not at all because they're not framed in such a way that they could be really good, um, you know, computer engineers. It's not that at all. So it's, it's quite interesting to see how we've, we've, uh, we've uh, experienced a shift and we're hoping that, and I do a lot of talks around women in STEM, hoping to bring that back to, you know, something more balanced. Uh, I have a daughter who's a lawyer, but she's a cybersecurity lawyer. She's done both. She's done law and she's done, and she also has a cybersecurity degree. To me, it's really key because it's also having role models. It's also seeing more women and young women who are thriving in a discipline that traditionally was dominated by men. So to come back to my uh, career, uh, I progressed quickly. As I mentioned, I was a, a VP of one of the largest um, career management firms. Then I became executive VP of the largest medical expertise firm. So really being able to manage businesses, no matter what, what their field was. And um, at the time, I was reporting to an all-male pale stale board and re realizing how complicated it could be for for you know, most women to, to make it to the top echelon in any company. And this is when I founded Women in Governance in, in 2010. And then deciding that actually I'm just going to leave the corporate world, hop on board uh, of Women in Governance full time. That was in 2017. Um, and I never looked back since. But it's quite a difference between, you know, being an executive in the corporate world and then becoming an entrepreneur and and, and managing a business and, you uh, and it's very, especially when it's a pretty demanding, I mean, every business, uh, an entrepreneur, it's, it's, it's always very demanding, but there are businesses, there are industries, fields where you're more visible. So it kind of becomes, uh, you know, a bit of a, um, like when you're in politics, you know, everybody's got eyes on you. You got to be careful what you say and what you do, but I'm a very authentic and transparent person. I'm not very guarded. So uh, I, I think that's probably also part of the secret recipe where people are attracted because, again, they feel like they know you. I, 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 I sometimes bump into people who say, oh, I saw what you did last week and, you know, how are your kids? Because I saw your daughter got this, uh, uh, you know, was nominated for, for this award and I saw your son did that. And I think that it's just, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on, on this, but I just want to reemphasize the importance of, uh, of sharing and of letting people in. Genuine authenticity. Uh, when we are genuinely authentic, then we have to worry far less about what people are, are thinking of it because we mean it with the best of intentions. And it's, it's only when we try to wordcraft everything that, that sometimes uh, uh, you, you, you're getting people on guard. They're trying to say, what, what are you? Who are you really? What are you trying to say? <laughs> uh, oh, I but, agree. You, you cannot be staged. Well, and then people can read through that, right? And, and I think uh, to, to not presume that people can, it, it's undermining your audience regardless of who they are. So, um, Absolutely. Uh, and and like I said, Caroline, there's so many of these subtopics. I was like, I feel like we should do a series just so that I could tease out some of these with you a bit more. But then you'd have way more speaking engagements that, that you'd like. Uh, but I want to well, go. Well, you see, when I would. No, Sorry, go ahead, go I, ahead. I just I just want to say that every time you ask a question, and I I've got a simple answer, and then I you know I start going into a totally different topic. But it's just I see the link, and I feel. I, I love to share. I really do. And I, I'm, I know that this is why you're doing this, Gary. You want to, you know, uh, help people uh, learn and develop and grow. And because you're such a generous person yourself. So I, um, I just have, I've just got too many ideas that go through my mind per minute. That's, that's my issue. <laughs> well, and then it gives also an opportunity for people to reach out, to collaborate. And, and you're right. That's the whole point of this podcast is to highlight the individuals participating in it, as well as their respective organizations. Uh, which brings me to the next point, women in governance. Uh, so the, the, I know you've touched on it in some capacities, but how, what was the impetus behind it? What drove you to found women in governance? So, um, right. So I, I mentioned what drove me to, to, to found it, but I just want to share um, 
how it sort of evolved over the years. Because when Perfect. I founded it, as I mentioned, is because, you know, I, I just, through my own career, I could, I could tell, you know what, I have progressed so much over the past, at the time, let's say decade. And where are the women? Where are the women that I graduated with earlier? How is there, how, how could it be that so many women seem to get stuck in mid-management roles? Why do they not move up? And, uh, and, and this was my first reflex to say, I'm going to create this organization. And uh, well, quite frankly, I wasn't going to create the organization at first. I just thought, you know what, let me just, just bring some up. women together. Exactly. Let's, let's get together. Let's talk. Let's brainstorm together. Let's find a way to um, get um, more women inspired, more women uh, wanting to contribute, more women with ambition. And um, started with putting together events. And, you know, think of the time as when I was a VP, an executive VP, my own network was quite senior. So it was easy for me to reach out to someone who was in a very senior role or a CEO, female or male, and say, you know, would you come and, and share, if it's a male CEO, for instance, why it's important for you to be surrounded by women? How did that change the dynamic of your board or if your executive committee? Why do you uh, think it's important that your organization does all the work to attract and retain more women and more people, uh, you know, from visible minorities, etc.? And um, if it's a female CEO, then just come and say, you can do it too. I've done it. This is what I've done. This is my little, you know, anecdotes and uh, key takeaways that, that you can implement. So we, so these events took place over about five years, from 2010 to 2015, about four events a year. Then in 2015, I decided that it wasn't enough. All these women who'd sent me emails saying, thank you so much. I was so inspired by this event. This gives me hope. This gives me strength. This gives me inspiration, courage to uh, get a promotion or, or ask for it, etc. But then I thought... Let's do something more for the women. Let's put together a mentoring program where these women can be really um, get a full year of a senior executive, a CEO, a chair of a board, etc., who can support these women for 12 months and help them. Uh, you know, don't you don't have to do it alone. Help them uh, progress their careers. Then after that, that was a very successful program. And then after that, we've added uh, governance training. So for women who want to sit on boards and with that famous imposter syndrome, although they are board ready and they could, you know, thrive and, and be very, um, be a great contribution from the next day, they would often hesitate. So this governance training program would just give them added confidence. And they like to put that on their CV that they've graduated from, from our programs. And then, and I think this is where everything changed. It's when in 2017, I realized that it's not really the women that need to be fixed. It's the culture. It's the workplace. And so at the time, we went to speak to McKinsey & Company and said, we don't have money, but we've got this crazy idea of building a parity certification so that companies can understand where they stand on the uh, gender spectrum, uh, on the gender parity spectrum. Because how can you actually have an impact on a gap that you've never measured you don't know its root causes. You don't know its magnitude. That cannot work. So that certification is essentially is like a questionnaire on 80 different points that organizations will, will go through to um, for, for us to be able to uh, evaluate the situation. And why is it important for us to evaluate the situation is to be able to help them you know, it's like a self-assessment. Now you better understand where you're doing well, where you're not doing so well, where you're stalling, where you're progressing, where you're doing wonderfully well. And you get a report with best practices, with benchmarking, with recommendations, and you submit year after year and you keep progressing. And the benchmarking you get on, you know, from year two is also relative to your own results the year before, not only the cohort, but your own results. So you can see in a heartbeat where you need to focus your efforts and what is going to yield results. And so this is, I believe, what really 
corresponds to concrete action to close the gender gap in the workplace. Today, 700,000 employees work for an organization that has been parity certified by women in governance in Canada and the US. And that to me is so much more important than hashtags or pledges or, you know, great mottos on websites. That's all wonderful. But if that's all you do, then I'm sorry, but that's not going to change anything about your culture, your policies, the initiatives that you can implement to help women progress and at, at, at the same pace as their male colleagues. And uh, for any of our listeners, uh, uh, for learn more about the, the noble work of women in governance. There's lots of information on the website and, and about the parity program. And uh, I'm sure there's team members from women in governance that would love to uh, connect with you about it. And uh, Caroline, I'm, I'm switching gears just briefly because I'm conscientious of your time and I want to be really, uh, but there are a couple of things I want the audience, whether it's uh, women leaders uh, or, or aspiring leaders, uh, the some productivity tips. They see you and the, your, the success uh, with women in governance, but beyond that as well in the whether it's with some of the not-for-profit world, whether it is just uh, in, in everything that you do, including uh, for the shameless plug of being on the Board of Advisors of Alexa. But how do you do it all? What are some yes. productivity tips? Well, I always, you know, everything I do, whether it's through my organization or, or, or my own personal life, I always measure the results of everything that I do. And I look at it from a... Um, profitability um, lens, but not just profitability, slash what is it that I can do in the least time that's going to have the best return? Because sometimes it's trial and error, right? You're going to do so many things and you're going to be exhausted and you're not going to understand how can I, how can I do all this? It's just, it's too much. And then you choose. Sometimes it's not realistic to say yes to everything. I have turned down more boards than I can uh, think of. I've turned down more speaking engagements than I can think of, unfortunately, because I would love to clone myself and be everywhere all the time. I cannot. Um, I think also uh, for the parents, whether the, they're the mother or the father of, of young children, there's often a um, feeling of guilt. And, um, and you, you would know this, right, from being away and not spending enough time, etc. So when they're at the age where they understand why you do what you do um, and you can get them involved, and that to me has been instrumental at a time where my ex-husband had moved back to France and I thought, ooh, how am I going to do this? How am I still going to be involved on all these boards, all these charitable organizations, et cetera? And I thought, well, I can bring them along and we'll see. They're you know, at an age where they can maybe do some simple tasks. And I remember for the very first organization where I brought my children was the Missing Children's Network, where I was involved for a number of years. And I, I brought my children there and I said, you know what, They're, they've got, they had a big um, event coming up and the, they needed inventory of the, they, they used to sell teddy bears with the Missing Children's Network t-shirt. And I said, you know, count the number of teddy bears, write them, then there's all these letters that you need to put in envelopes, et cetera. So they felt that they were doing something, they were contributing in some sort of, of way. And to me, it was a way of having some sort of quality time with my children in a different way, in a different setting. And uh, it's, it's funny because until today, you know, my children, I had obviously the March 8 uh, International Women's Day cocktail at the Ritz-Carlton. Both my children were there. And they always say, you know, if we want to be sure to see our mom, we go at her, at, at her events. She'll be there. And, and, and to me, it's, it's wonderful that they can, that they can see, uh, obviously, their, their mom in action. But we're, you know, we're a family. We're more than just, you know, homework. Well, at the time, they're obviously both uh, adults and, and, and working. But more than just the homework piece or the discipline piece, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more to it. So to go back to your, you know, productivity, how can you do it all? There's also the fact that I'm not... A, very uh, big sleeper. I, I do about six hours a day. So I know it sounds crazy that I'm not recommending anybody do this. I'm just explaining that in my case, six hours is enough. So all of a sudden, I think I've got two hours over pretty much 
a lot of people. I know people who can do even four or five hours. That's not me. I get grumpy. Um, but to me, that's more than enough. And I think everybody's different. You got to know yourself. You got to know, you know, your limits. And um, I know a lot of people think I don't have time to go to the gym. Big mistake. Big mistake. I go to the gym three times a week, minimum, minimum. And that gives me the energy that I need to accomplish so much more. And then learn to delegate, learn to trust others, because otherwise you're going to impede your growth. If you want to control everything, and you know, Gary, Alexa Translations has skyrocketed over the past couple of years. I mean, it grew tremendously. And if you want to keep everything, you know, um, if you want to control everything, then you're never going to be able to have that magnitude of, of, um, of an organization. So learn to let go of certain things. Look at what is important and what can be delegated and, and, and empower your team, empower the people around you. They are going to actually deliver much better results than if you say, no, no, I'll do this. No, you do, you know, the uninteresting stuff. Let me do all the interesting stuff that it, it can never work that way. And, and not that it's easy to let things go, but to Caroline's point, you have to really assess and consistently critically think best result for, or the highest result for your effort. And uh, you have, that's that's how you incrementally get better at letting things go because it won't happen overnight. It won't be just all of a sudden I'm going to let everything go because it is a process as well, even as you empower the team. So, Absolutely. Uh, Caroline, I, um, I, I know we're over time, so I'm only going to ask you 90 second one-word one answers or, or very short answers. Uh, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Oh, I, well, I, it might take me 90 seconds. I have so many favorite words. <laughs> we I, call I think it's resilience. But I, Absolutely. My favorite Great. word. No, I like it. Resilience. It's, it's beautiful. And, and we call this the rapid fire question. So that's whatever comes first comes to mind. Don't overthink it. Okay. I'm what not word gonna overthink. Okay. I'm sorry. Say that again. What word do you hate? Oh, the word that I hate, uh, uh, racism. What word do you have a hard time pronouncing? If any. Serendipity. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, what is your favorite word in another language? Um, babushka. Babushka. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, how many languages can you speak? Oh, I can speak four and I can understand six. And one word to describe yourself, if you could do it in one word. Passion passion so appropriate uh, it's what i would have picked for you as well Caroline. uh i i really appreciate your time today i had lots more questions that i had to be selective for because we had to make our the most of our time but thank you for joining me on this episode of firing on all syllables and uh you will see it published in short order wonderful well it was such a joy gary thank you so much and i'm Really happy to have you in my very close network. And uh, I encourage people to, you know, find the Garys of, of this world around them. And, uh, you know, our collaboration has been nothing but uh, fantastic since I remember before the pandemic, the very first time that you uh, came into uh, one of our galas. So wonderful what, friendship and working uh, relationship and podcasts now and sky's the limit.